the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial. Show dedicated to getting into retirement. Joining me today, CFP Regional Director Chad Burton, host of New Focus on Wealth. How are you, Chad? I am well. How about you? Good. Thanks for being with me. We have the big event coming up in November, November 17th, our first live event in a long time in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. Going to be talking about income in retirement. Let's talk a little bit about what's changing right now in light of higher rates and higher inflation. What's the different approaches we need to be thinking about? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, rates are higher. People are getting more money or more income on their safe money now. I mean, you can get 3% plus on many online FDIC insured banks. You can get over 4% on 6, 12 and you know, 12 month T-bills, T-notes from the government directly. Um, it's been a big change. Like Rob, short-term rates are, is, we haven't seen them this high since 2006. So that helps offset some of the inflation a little bit while we're seeing really high inflation prints we're likely to see those numbers come down because you're seeing most commodity costs come down except oil um, and and things are slowing. So while we are probably going to see a, a decade or so of higher inflation because we've enjoyed two decades of extremely low inflation, um, at least some of the fixed income pieces to a portfolio are going to pay more. So that term for a while, the 60-40 portfolio is dead. While it's probably the worst that a balanced type of investor has seen since 2008, those that are trying to build a retirement portfolio, it's a much better time to get into bonds now than it was you know, prior to 2022. So let's start with that first concept, I think, that you threw down. Safe money can get 3 to 4%. Where yeah. are you going for safe money? Because um, you know, I know the, the obvious ones like Marcus, an online bank, and Ally, an online bank. Um, <clears throat> I don't see anything local that I can go drive to 10 minutes away. It's all online. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that's about right. I think that um, some credit unions get you there in some cases. Um, but essentially, these online banks are just extensions of your checking account, right? You can transfer money back and forth pretty much overnight. So um, Capital 360, Ally Marcus, we use one called Flourish that kind of accumulates all of the top rates in the nation. Um, and as short-term rates rose and these, these have all risen too. The one thing that I will say is that some of the ones that are out there, like the capital one three sixties. And if you've had one of these online accounts for a long time, and you're just assuming the rates went all the way up to the 3% range, check on them. Because uh, one of our advisors, you know, well, Brad was checking on his account and it wasn't getting the same rate as new accounts. He had to close it and open up a new one to get the higher rates, which was, Kind of annoying, but a little um, paid and switch, but not bad. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, you know, you can buy I bonds. That's been a very popular topic, right? Because they're paying so much. How do you buy I bonds? Do you do that yourself? 
Yeah, you have to do them yourself. You have to open up a treasurydirect.gov account and you can only buy $10,000 of those bonds. Now, there's ways to do it. So if you're a married couple, for example, you could set up different accounts and things like that. But I will say that right now, I-bonds, they, there's two rates on I-bonds. There's a base rate and an inflation rate. The base rate is zero. And then the inflation rate is high right now because we've seen high inflation. So those numbers will likely come down. And the thing I don't like to see is people that have a living trust buy these things outside of a trust account because there's two things that create major headaches in estate planning. And that's people that own stock certificates directly um, or or through like a Bank of New York Mellon instead of through their Schwab or Fidelity type of an account and people that own paper bonds outside of their trust. Um, so make sure you, if you're going to open up a treasurydirect.gov account to buy this stuff that and you have a living trust that you do it properly. Um, so I bonds are limited to 10 grand, but you can buy, you know, 26, 52 week T bills, T notes, that kind of thing. And, and right now they're 4%. So a good place for safe money. Safe money is considered, you know, FDIC insured, insured by the government, uh, for a credit union, that's CUNA insured. Um, I don't consider short term bond funds, safe money because as short term rates go up, they can fall in value as well. But it's relatively safe money. Short-term bonds? Yes. Well, that's been the biggest jump in in, in terms of rates, right? That's why yeah. we have an inverted curve. I mean, all the rates. I mean, this has been one of the biggest rate increases on historical record, right? It's just been insane. The 10-year treasury it's started down. It's been a fun down, year. Uh, yeah. Um, started down at you know under 1.5% and is, is slightly over 4 now on the 10-year treasury. but one and two year bonds are paying about as much as a 10 year, right? So or a little slightly more on the inverted curve. That's what that means is that short-term rates are paying as higher, higher than long-term rates. So some opportunities there, but it, it kind of goes back to, okay, what do you do with new money that you're trying to put in bonds? We can talk about bond ladders. Let's talk about um, bond ladders. Hey, yeah. That's one of the very first things we were talking about 25 years ago on my show, you and I. I know. So I keep telling people, I like trying to explain to people, I haven't wanted to do this since 2006. Right. So, um, What's a bond and, and ladder? Well, so a, a bond ladder is when instead of buying bond funds, um, right. and this is mostly for new money, I don't, it, it's, and typically you want to have, you know, over a half a million dollars in bonds to do this. Um where you take your, instead of buying a bond mutual fund. So let's talk about a bond mutual fund first. That's what most people own in their 401ks and things like that. Um, people have watched their bond mutual funds fall in value as interest rates go up. Because if you have a bond, Rob, at 3% and there's new bonds coming out at 5%, well, nobody wants your bond, right? They would want to buy a new bond that's being issued at a higher rate. So on paper, your bond falls in value. And that's only a, a loss is if, if, if you sell that bond early. If you keep okay. it till maturity, you're going to get your money back. Now, in a mutual fund, um, what, what happens is that if people start selling rapidly because they look at their statements and like, oh, I better get out. It's falling in value. The bond manager could be forced to sell their bonds to meet redemptions and lock in those losses when they would have otherwise wanted to keep them till maturity. Right. So if interest rates continue to go up a bit, you could still see some of that. And most of the good bond fund managers are kind of, you know, already had raised some cash and things like that. 
with an individual bond ladder, and we might need to go into the next segment on this one, right? But essentially, you're buying the individual bonds in your account. Well, a manager is, right? Somebody that's really good at it, that has a lot of inventory, good, good pricing power. And you take your, let's say, half a million dollars and you buy bonds all along the one to 10 year time horizon. So some a tenth of your bonds, let's say, are maturing in a year, a tenth of your bonds in two years. And so every year, you have a, a group of bonds that are maturing. So not only do you have income on the portfolio, um, but every year you have, you know, eight to 10% of those, that portfolio coming due in terms of cash, the bonds that are maturing, they get put back into your brokerage account in cash and you can d- decide, oh, I need to spend that. I'm retired. Or no, I, I don't need the money. I can either invest it in stocks if stocks have dropped further and it's a buying opportunity or nope, I don't need the money. I'm going to just invest it in a bond that matures 10 years from now. And you just, you keep laddering. So that way, if interest rates continue to go up, you can kind of look at those individual bonds on paper and say, yeah, it says it's lower in value on my statement, but it doesn't matter because I'm just going to hold them until maturity and get the money back. Seems like we were doing that with CD ladders too. What's the difference between a bond ladder and a CD ladder quickly in your head? Well, CD, CD ladders, you can typically only go you know, like to five years and they're with a bank and they're going to pay a little bit lower rate. Um, it, it, with a bond ladder too, you're, you're letting money to corporations, for example, or oh, yeah. tax-free bonds, it's municipalities. Um, so one is FDIC insured and one is not. <laughs> so that's one of the one that's not, it's going to pay you a little bit higher income, obviously. Um, and so it, it's, 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 it's just how long as you can go. And also with a CD, if rates go down, CDs aren't going to increase in value. If rates go down, your individual bonds can increase in value and can actually sell them early and make a profit. We'll talk about this and much, much more when we come back Thursday, November 17th, Retirement Income and Tax Planning Event Seminar Live in Person in Palo Alto. You can sign up for it at chadburton.com. Use the code EVENT25 to get in for free. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. There is a whole heck of a lot going on in 2022 as we look and march closer to 2023. It's super important that you have a plan. For the first time, maybe in the last 20 years, you really sobered up with the word inflation and recession again coming to mind. They're very normal events. You got to get into some practice and you got to get into some good habits. Retirement income and tax planning seminar coming up November 17th, Elks Lodge, Palo Alto. You can sign up for the event using code event 25 at chadburton.com. Joining me today is CFP Chad Burton, host of New Focus on Wealth, regional director, CFP podcaster. You can find all that stuff at chadburton.com. Chad. We're talking about the changing world of inflation and interest rates. And one of the areas that's that's interesting to me is paying off your mortgage. The word mortgage has the word death in it. No one likes their mortgage. You and I grew up with the idea of paying off your mortgage was this party where you burn tickets before there was online payments. You'd burn your book when you were finished, uh, pull all the tickets out and all the coupons and sending them back in after 30 years. What's the world of mortgages looking like these days? Well, there's been a couple of changes because you and I used to tell people all the time, you know, never pay off your mortgage. Right. right? It it was it was something like where you could typically take that money and you know invest in bonds and, and get a higher rate of return, or take that money and invest. 
Right, right, right. So it's, you know, there's, there's the building wealth phase when you want to maximize every single dollar. And then there's the phase of, you know what, it's time to simplify life and do what makes me feel better. And sometimes that's pay off your mortgage and retirement makes people feel a lot better. But we were in this weird scenario for the last couple of years until now, where rates had dropped so much, you could no longer invest in bonds and get a rate higher than your mortgage. And so for some people that were kind of in that simplification range, and by the way, they weren't able to get a deduction from their mortgage anymore because they were taking the standard deduction based on the 2017 tax law changes. And they had, if they had cash on the sidelines that they were trying to invest and they were like, okay, I already own too many stocks. Should I invest in bonds? There was people I was telling, you know what? And I think in your situation, it might be better to pay off your mortgage since that's going to be your forever home and you're about to go into retirement. And you know, here we are sitting on a bond market decline of, um, uh, you know, as of end of October, 2022, of nearly 18, uh, at one point it was nearly down 18%. Now it's down around 16% or so, Rob. Okay. So at least that money dodged that bullet and paid off the mortgage. But now we've totally reversed course. Interest rates have jumped so much in the last several months that you can now take money that you would use to pay off a mortgage and invest it in California tax-free bonds, for example, and get a higher rate of return than an existing mortgage that you have that's like 3.5% or under. And so now it would be better to get that higher rate of return totally tax-free and keep that money liquid and flexible versus dump it into the walls of your house by paying off your mortgage, in my opinion. So we had this kind of two-year period where you know, I'd switched gears. And for the first time, we were telling some people to pay off their mortgage. And now it's probably going to be less and less of people doing that because of where bonds are. And that ability to ladder a bond portfolio for over 10 years. So like if a person had half a million sitting in cash, and they're lucky to have that, and they're saying, do I pay off my mortgage? Or do I invest in a bond ladder? I would probably do the bond ladder in, in, in that situation if they already had enough stocks. So mortgages are pretty powerful tools. Let's stay with a mortgage for a second. A mortgage yep. is an incredible loan. Now it's more expensive than it was a year ago to get. It's considered cheap money by some because it's not like credit card money. It's handled difference in, differently in you know, how you're taxed on it. But let's talk about the idea of getting a loan right now. I talked about recently on this show that if I were to buy a retirement home, because I'm getting to that age where I'm thinking about where am I going to settle down? Maybe I'd buy it now with like an adjustable rate mortgage in about a year after seeing some real estate prices fall. That's the expectations. That's the, you know, the myth that's out there on Wall Street that this is all going to go according to plan. Mm-hmm. So home prices will be a little lower in a year, but rates won't. So I'll get a seven year adjustable rate mortgage. Maybe I'll transfer that into a 30 year if rates go down in the near future, uh, three to five years after I buy the mortgage. Do you see where I'm going at with this? Um, using mortgages as tools. Is that a concept you're comfortable talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And I think first of all, people are going to have to look at the homes that they own at these, you know, sub three and a half percent rates on their mortgage, many people under three, and realize that um, you know, that that's a house that you're probably not gonna ever want to let go of because I doubt we see those rates again. Isn't that crazy to say out loud? And, yeah, and I, or, I think that or, I, a lot of people end up kind of you know, losing money over time by constantly upgrading their primary residence. Okay. And so now if you're wanting to upgrade, it's kind of like, you know, is it a direct, you're going to 
both the, the price of what you're selling has going to probably come down in value and the price of what you're buying is. So it's a little bit of a trade-off, but you're just paying a higher rate on a mortgage. Whereas if you kind of look at this house that you're in, okay, let's wait a little longer to upgrade the next house so that I can continue to keep this home as a rental property if it's a good deal, right? If you can, you know, have nice positive cash flow on it. Um, because that leverage on that real estate sub 3% is, is probably not going to happen again for a long, long time. If and ever, I think you're, if ever, yeah, 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 if ever, let's hope not because it's really kind of like the credit crisis got us down and then COVID pushed us down even farther into a weird low rate environment. And so I think you're right. I think that if I was to do a real estate deal right now, um, is to look at kind of the arm loans again, the seven, 10 year arm interest only loans, because I do think that, well, it's, it's odd. It's, we have an inverted yield curve, right, Rob, where the, sure. the short-term bonds are paying the same as long. So for that to eventually uninvert when you come out of the other end of a recession, either short-term rates have to come down or long-term rates edge up, right? And I don't know exactly what's going to happen. It's a very interesting bond market right now, but I do think that we've seen the peak inflation number. So as we see these prints that will still be shocking, it's not going to it's not going to, it's going to continue to kind of come down and be less shocking. I think most commodities have fallen except oil. Um, so, and we're starting to see these rounds of layoffs hit, especially in the real estate and mortgage industry. So <clears throat> I don't, I think that people, if they are buying something now, they probably will have a, a opportunity to get a slightly lower 30 year rate at the end of 2023 or beyond. Um you know, if, if something that we're going to have to keep an eye on, so it's a very fluid situation. We don't have a lot of time, but do you look at mortgages like, um, as a wealth building tool? There's so many things that mortgages can let you do. And I got in this industry based on the idea of Rick Edelman's first column that he ever put together, the top 10 reasons never to pay off your mortgage. Mm-hmm. Do you look at mortgages as, as tools that like, would you do a HELOC to pay for your kid's college or would you use a HELOC to get into another home? Um, is that part of what a CFP does? Look at some of the things that are outside the box per se. And we have well, less yeah, we than a minute. People make those decisions all the time, right? And, and a mortgage is a tool. And I've done whole shows on this, that the only way that real estate keeps up with stocks or exceeds stocks is because of the leverage. So it's a lot more risk, but that's the only way it keeps up with stocks in the long run. For the record, a HELOC I just threw on a term is a home equity line of credit. There's a lot of tools that CFPs have built in their softwares and in their brains to help you with. You can learn more about Chad Burton at chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. What's the best way to choose a financial advisor? Download our guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. On the other line with me today is CFP Chad Burton. He's dedicated to getting you through retirement, wealth managing you basically until you pass, hopefully with a little extra cash when you go so you can figure out how to give it off to your heirs. You can find CFP Chad Burton. He does a podcast called New Focus on Wealth. He is a regional director of EP Wealth. He and I have worked together for 20 plus years. It's always a joy to hear him online. Find him at chadburton.com. Let's talk about the 4% draw rate. First, Chad, what is the 4% draw rate and why do we need to talk about it now? Well, uh, the 4% draw rate, that is the kind of rule of thumb that was created in the early 90s. So I got into business in 93. So it was just kind of 
getting uh, popular back then. And that's essentially where um, a big study was done where it showed if, okay, if you have a balanced portfolio, like a 60, 40 uh-huh. type of portfolio um, between stocks and bonds that if you in- invest it and you go into retirement at age 65, if you draw 4% out for the first year, you can adjust your withdrawal upward 3% every year until the day you die. And you should have enough money to last till you're hundred years old or to, to a normal life expectancy. And um, so when that happened back in the nineties, um, you had a higher dividend yield on the S and P 500 dividends. And, and I've got to talk about this because there's a lot of people that don't know what a dividend is. That's, you know, when a stock it gives when you own a stock, the company you know sends out a certain amount of profit on a quarterly basis, and you get essentially a dividend check. Okay. Or in your account, it gets invested into your money market or back into the stock, right? So, you had a higher dividend yield on the S and P five hundred and a much higher interest rate on bonds. So you were getting you know five percent plus on bonds. And so there was a lot of talk in the last several years that is the four percent draw rate rule dead because interest rates were so low. We went from over four and a half percent on a 10-year treasury to under one and a half percent for a while. Significant reduction in income on people's bond portfolios. Now for several years, that lower income was offset in actual gains in bonds. Um, so it was offset a little bit, but um with that idea that okay, yeah, rates are higher, but now we're seeing high inflation, you know, is the four percent draw rate the right rule? And it's really kind of dependent on the person. It it has to do with if you're retired now, did you brace for this by listening to us and always talking about three years worth of portfolio draws and cash? Um, you know, how are you invested? It's going to be we're, since bonds are getting back to a normal rate where they used to be. Um, it is still a decent starting point, but there's so many different phases of income planning and retirement, Rob, that we can talk about. It's just a starting point. It's just so that people, when they're 50 or 60, can kind of look ahead and say, this is how much I think I'll have saved up. What will 4% of that number be? Is that anywhere near what I'm spending now? So it's really just meant to be kind of like a back of the envelope check on, are you saving enough? How can the average person do what you just said? Is it possible to figure out the math of what you can draw down on safely or intelligently? Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, if you know, you're in your 40s, 50s, and you're trying to figure it out, you know what your take-home pay is. Okay. And you know how much of that you're spending. If you're spending every dollar of that and you're not socking away anything besides your 401k, then that's pretty much what you're spending now. If you're still spending on kids, you got to say, okay, I'm not going to be spending on kids in retirement to the extent. I mean, people still that's, get that's a tough like one because that. that's a tough one because I think everyone wants to like support their kids and we don't know what the future is. So you start kind of guessing with yourself. I wonder if I'm going to be supporting my kids. Yeah, it, this is and this is something too that has changed in the last 28 years that I've been doing this. I'm, I'm dealing more and more with people that are enabling, helping and their kids, and, and helping their kids and, and damaging their own retirement because they like feel like they have to do it. I'm like, why is this generation changing like that? <laughs> the, you know, the baby boomers, are, uh, the, the depression era people were much better at, no kid, you're on your own now. Mom, dad, we're not helping you anymore. You got to do it yourself versus 
how many conversations I have to have. Are, are you now enabling your kid? I mean, should you really help in this situation or should you let them, you know, deal with this bad decision that they've made again? I don't know a lot of 28 year olds, but I know a couple of 28 year olds in the Bay area who still live with their parents. I know a couple 35 year olds who still live with their parents, like enabling it. It's, it's not a cost of living thing. Maybe it is a cost of living thing. Maybe it's, oh, it's absolutely, especially in the Bay area. Right. I mean, it's like to get into another home or something like that. That's the, the cost versus where uh, lower to middle income went. It's why, you know, there's so much exodus out of the Bay area. People can't afford to live in Palo Alto and, and work a lower middle class job. Right. So that's, that's a, <laughs> when you're looking at economics and you're dealing with either New York or San Francisco, it's always just a little off. It's always hard to kind of have a conversation based on that. It's gotten a little bit more off. Yeah. And I can just tell you from the, like the demographics of, I remember 25 year olds used to have flats and apartments in San Francisco. That was me. That was me. And now I don't know anyone who has that. It's, it's very strange. And like everyone who works at Cron, who's new, literally their the resumes are like uh, on LinkedIn, from Indiana university, 2019. So they're, it's young and they're, they work for cheap. And I'm like, where are you guys living? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. crazy to me, but back to you. How are we on this 4% draw? Are we, are we about finished with that? Well, yeah, I think there's just different phases too, that you think about. I mean, first of all, um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about inflation. We can talk about the different phases of planning your withdrawals because there's the date of retirement to the age of when you start taking Social Security that's right for you, either you know somewhere between your full retirement age all the way up to 70. So there's a different draw rate until you take Social Security, right? Because then you might not need to draw out as much once your Social Security kicks in. And then there's another change when your required minimum distributions kick in at age 72. And I will say there's a... Uh, law that'll likely pass after the midterms, Rob, that'll kick that to age 75. Um, but th- there's those different phases of of distribution planning. So that 4% draw rule is um, still decent in terms of a, a starting point for people to think about retirement, but a lot goes into the actual planning. And then the question is, is when you have a market like we have now, do people cut their expenses in retirement by 20% because stocks and bonds are down by almost that much? And the answer is no. If you set things up properly in the very beginning, five years prior to retirement, you don't have to take the cuts like that. I've heard you talk a little bit about that, and I've seen you glaze over the eyes of other certified financial planners. Let's talk about taking distributions and, and replenishing funds. What's, what's the basic idea? Is it a best case, worst case scenario? Is it a high rate, low rate environment? Like, What's, what's your checks and balances in this, this scenario? Well, it's great. I mean, I, you know, I got into the business in college. I was majoring in engineering and math. And so I approached the stock market and I looked at it and I'm like, okay, this is amazing. You can make so much money over time. The issue is, is that it's positive. If we look over the last 50 years, it's, the market's been positive 74% of those years. Right. And so it's the mistakes that people make in the other percent that it, it, when it's negative. And so I looked at it and I said, okay, for retirees, um, as long as you're never selling after a decline, because usually when the declines come, when you have a recession, right? Mm-hmm. When you have a stock market that is really tied towards a recession, the typical decline is 25, 35%, somewhere around in there. We already hit 25 a few weeks back. Um, and it, the, the length is somewhere around 17 or 18 months. So we're already like 10 months through that one, this one, right? 
Um, and so as long as you are not forced to sell either by panicking because you were invested too aggressively or you're forced to sell because you have to pay your expenses in retirement, the market always recovers. The stock market will always recover and then back off to the races again. In fact, if you look at the S&P 500 over the last three years, even after today, Rob, I mean, it's still up, what, I mean, 23, 24%, you know, if you put the, the last three years in perspective. Um, so even though this that year- That doesn't sound so bad when you put it in that perspective, but- Yeah. I mean, if you, you and I both are getting it, emails from people who are freaked out. Right. But if, if we go, okay, look back in October of 2019 to today, the S&P 500 is still up 32% even after this decline. So stop freaking out about a year. And the, but the thing is, is that you will freak, investors will freak out on these difficult phases if they don't plan for it from the very beginning. So what we do is very intense cash flow planning as you go into retirement where it says, okay, this is, these are all my different accounts. This is my total amount of expenses, my income or my expenses, plus my taxes, healthcare costs and everything. And so here's my expenses minus my automatic income, things like my social security, a certain amount of net income from very dependable rental properties, some dividends and interest from your taxable account in retirement that you're going to pay taxes on anyway, so you might as well spend it. Um, what else is left over that you're either going to pull out of your portfolio every year or spend out of your cash? That's your draw rate. Three years worth of your draw rate needs to be in safe, safe money. And so I'm constantly reminding my clients that these situations, these bear markets happen every you know, seven years at least. And you're going to face these four to five times in retirement. So you better prepare for it all the time. So during the good times, we're always selling some of the gains and replenishing the cash that's being spent. And during the bad times, we have enough cash, dividends and interest, social security, income from rentals and things like that, that we don't have to sell anything during these difficult times. And it makes it, that, oh, I have a plan to get through from the peak down to the trough, back up to the recovery. It makes people feel a lot better in retirement and sleep a lot easier knowing that, oh, I've already prepped for this. No big deal. That was back. one of your best segments ever. I'm going to sit back and listen to it again. People can grab the podcast at chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. He does a podcast called New Focus on Wealth. I do one called The Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Questions about Social Security? Check out the Social Security Retirement Guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. It's nice to say this, that Chad and I will be back live in person at an event, Retirement Income and Tax Planning Seminar. When? Thursday, November 17th, 630 to 830, where Elks Lodge, our favorite place to do it in Palo Alto. Great parking, easy to get into. You can sign up at chadburton.com, chadburton.com, but use the code EVENT25 to waive the admission fees. Please do that. It's it's going to be good to do an event in front of a full room. It's highly encouraged that you have an ass, uh, assets of at least $500,000. And probably a good idea to be focusing on the next five, 10 years of your life where you're thinking about retirement income and tax planning. Chad, any quick thoughts on the event coming up in November? Well, I think you nailed it. I mean, this is really specifically for I'm five to 10 years from retirement, um, which, you know, in the Bay Area is definitely over half a million dollars saved up. Otherwise, the, 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 you laugh, but you laugh, but it's, it's, you're not it's, laughing. It's, it's just a freaking not at fact. All. I mean, if you look at the 4% draw rate that we were just talking about, if you've got a million dollars, you can only safely pull about 40 grand a year starting at age 65 and adjust it upwards with inflation. 
Um, so I don't know how you live in the Bay area on 40 grand, right? So it's, it's, it's definitely not a, you know, beginning to even mid, you know, 40, 50 year old investor situation. Typically it's going to be 10 years from retirement or in retirement. That's what this event is geared for. 40 grand won't even support me supporting my kids getting boba tea. (laughs) <laughs> do you know what boba tea is oh yeah it's, it's just sugar like here rot your teeth and get diabetes go for it yeah I, I, well that's my kids in boba tea now. on vacation like we've driven 15 minutes out of the way in places before because can we get boba tea and then i've tried it and it's disgusting but i don't have a sweet tooth so i'm lucky on that front Okay, so one of the things you're going to be talking about at the event in Palo Alto on the 17th of November is Roth conversions. It's one of the things you could do, and that that ties in both the retirement income down the road as well as the tax planning immediately. What do we need to know about Roth conversions right now? Well, what a great – I, I mean, if the time when you really want to look at Roth conversions is when the market is down and you can say, uh, say you want to convert – 20,000 from your IRA to your Roth, and you can move over shares of stock or funds in kind into your Roth, knowing that, okay, you know, three to five years from now, it's going to be much, much higher, but I'm going to pay taxes at this value today. The question is, is should you do it, right? Should you be converting IRA money to Roth? And you you really have to first start with a a really comprehensive financial plan that's detailed cash flow planning. What are your taxes going to be? Health insurance costs, the right amount of inflation to say, okay, am I going to be do I, do I have much money left to leave to my heirs when I'm 100 years old? Do I have assets that, are, that I'm being left over? Because when you convert money from an IRA to a Roth, there's a break-even analysis that, okay, how long does it take for you paying taxes on that money now, putting it into a Roth to have it grow tax-free? At what age do you kind of have to wait to draw out money from that tax-free account so that it equals what the money, if you would have left it where it was, what would it be worth sitting in your IRA account and you take it out and pay taxes versus the money growing tax-free in a Roth? And usually the break even for somebody in their 60s is around you know 80-ish. Okay. And so then it really becomes, of that's probably the asset though that you're going to leave to your children. So do you have a lot of money left over when, you, when you're going to pass away? That's test number one. And test number two is are your kids at a you know, what's their tax bracket? If they're at a much lower bracket than you, then hmm, maybe it's not so attractive. If, now, what happens um, What happens when I die? My Roth, I've, I've converted my IRA to my uh, Roth mm-hmm. and I die. How long, do, my kids are 25, hypothetically say, how long do they have to spend it? Or is it their whole life? Nope, not anymore. So that changed and it's now only 10 years. Okay. So they have to pull all the money out within 10 years. So they can enjoy 10 years of tax-free growth. Hmm. Um, and that's the way it's kind of written now. I mean, the IRS is kind of saying, no, really, we want you to take it evenly over 10 years, but there's a lot of up in the air on this law, but it's not lifetime anymore. So now we used to be able to leave our IRAs and our Roth IRAs to our kids and they would have their entire lifetime that they could just pull a little bit out each year. Okay. Um, now it's 10 years. So that's changed planning a lot. Um, so who stays and, on top, who stays on top of these laws? Cause like, I knew that, but my brother, Michael, doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it, I mean, that's what CFPs, certified financial planners, taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. We have to you know, have continuing education in all those areas constantly. So 
it's this is why I like the business so much because it's always changing and evolving and and it's fun. It you know keeps, keeps you on you your young. toes. Yeah, it keeps yeah, you young, exactly. keeps you on your toes, keeps you educated <laughs> and learning. Any last thoughts on this uh, concept of conversions? Yeah. So when you when you do it, there's so many things that are involved because when you pull money out of your IRA to your to put it into a Roth, it's you have to pay taxes. Where are you going to get that money to pay the taxes? You have to have cash on the sidelines. You have to make sure you're ending up with a lot of money when you retire. Otherwise, why do it? You have to look at your taxes now and what they're going to look like after the age of 72. And you have to say, okay, if I pull money out of my IRA to my Roth, it could increase my capital gains taxes on my stock sales, mutual fund sales, and and dividend income. Um, It can also cause you, if you're over 65, to pay more on your Medicare Part B premiums. So not only do you want to keep an eye on what federal bracket that you're converting in, like, are you at the, you know, much over 22% federal bracket? I I typically say, "Eh, I don't know if this is going to be worth it unless it's for estate planning. But then it's, it's, it's Irma, right? You you know what Irma is, Rob? Um, I do, but I'll let you explain it because you do it better than I do. Well, it's when, if you make a lot of money, it's when you have to pay a heck of a lot more than your neighbor for Medicare Part B premiums. And I was joking that Irma should probably be called Karen now. Oh, <laughs> sorry, all the Karens, Karens out there. <laughs> but um, it, it's a, it's a, it's there's a lot of moving parts when you consider it. It's just not a blind. Oh yeah, it's the market's down. Let's convert to a Roth. There's a lot of moving parts in it. Thanks very much. It's CFP Chad Burton, New Focus on Wealth podcaster. You can find it at Apple, at Spotify, Google, anywhere where you consume your podcast. You can find him online at chadburton.com, regional director. EP Wealth. Um, we're going to be doing an event together, Retirement Income and Tax Planning Seminar. When? November 17th. Where? Elks Lodge Palo Alto. Use the code EVENT25. Sign up at chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.